Now here we go again, we're ranking all the Beatles. Well, who am I to rank these songs? Oh yeah, uh, uh. It's only right that we should rank the Beatles songs. I don't know. <laughs> That's the best I got. That's pretty good. That was my, uh, my Fleetwood Mac. I was drinking cranberry, cranberry juice, juice <laughs> well over done. here while yes. he's saying I was not really, but just imagine. People getting mad at all these rankings. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody. Hey, uh, friends. Welcome to Ranking the Beatles, episode number 24. My name is Jonathan. And I'm Julia. With me, as always, is Julia. I said it. I know. I'm here. I was just thinking of like, with me as always as Garth. <laughs> <laughs> Popped in my head. Um, hope you're all having a lovely week. I want to now do like a photo of us um, sitting next to each other. And I'm holding a note card that says, this guy blows goats. <laughs> <laughs> I have proof. <laughs> Uh, for the children, that is a Wayne's World <laughs> reference. Yes, for our uh, our our fourteen to eighteen demographic. For the youths, <laughs> uh, it's great. You should watch it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I uh, hope you guys are having a good week. It's Thanksgiving week as we record it. Well, when you're listening to this, it'll be Thanksgiving week, week of at least. Uh, so hope you guys are prepared to uh, not go anywhere for Thanksgiving because <laughs> we're never leaving our houses again. Yeah. Still going on. Um, yes. But yeah, enough of that sad bastard stuff. I'm tired of talking about quarantine right now. Okay. I hope you guys get to enjoy your small meals mm, yes. um, for just your household. Yes. <laughs> It'll be lovely. As long as you are uh, listening to the best podcast about the Beatles when it comes to putting them in order. Which one is that? Are you implying <laughs> that there's more than one? Because there is. Uh, talk about the one where we do it mostly sober. Okay. The best sober <laughs> the Beatles, best sober ranking, Beatles podcast. ranking podcast. Big ups to our <laughs> drinking Beatles ranking friends, Blotto Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> our guest today is a singer, songwriter, and guitarist who first made a name for himself as the lead singer of the band The Red Rockers. Uh, they were often called America's Answer to the Clash, and their song China was an MTV and Billboard chart hit in 1983. Following the breakup of the Red Rockers, he pursued a solo career before starting the band Cowboy Mouth, another New Orleans-rooted rock band who also had chart success in the mid-90s. Uh, for those who don't know, I ended up joining Cowboy Mouth uh, in 2007, spent three years as their rhythm guitarist. Uh, I was the guy stage left, while our guest today was stage right. Um, he's also a member of the Texas Guitar Hall of Fame and also composes music for film and TV when he's not being the coolest dude that I know. Um, I don't have a big brother, but if I did, it would be our guest today. Friends, please welcome to the show the one and only Mr. John Thomas Griffith. John Thomas, how are you, my brother? I'm fantastic. Thank you for Thank you for, <laughs> yeah, for including Thank you, me. Cleveland. 
You know, I got to say, you you're one. You, I always tell a lot of people that you are one of the most uh, well-known, I mean, thorough Beatle aficionados that I know. <laughs> well, and well true. thank you. Uh, honestly, yeah. Well, I don't know a lot, so that makes you pretty up to date. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Kid. I just kidding. No, you really, I, I, you know, I, your, your acumen is so, it, it's so good. And with the, that, the, the, you know, uh, my, my brother-in-law Bruce had on a uh, Ardent shirt on. Oh, uh, from, from, from Memphis? And we got in the conversation about you and, and about going up there to record and, mm-hmm. and how much we were all big star fans. And, and um, you know, and I got to meet Alice Chilton, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And, um, so anyway, it was, it was great. And I said, well, JP really knows his Beatles. He did inside and out. I, I never really did uh, study, you know, when the anthology came out, there was a lot of um, uh, inner stuff, you know, inner stuff that hidden, like secret, uh, stuff you could, there's a book with it. That, yeah. Or you know, the recording sessions and what went down. And um, I thought that was really cool. Opened the door to a, like a fly on the wall. Yeah. Kind of yeah. yeah. It, it really gave a lot of, um, it opened a lot of doors to, I think, more casual fans to see that kind of like behind the curtain uh, mm-hmm. thing and, you know, get the inner workings of, of what they were doing. Yeah, it wasn't just one take band. They were like, yeah, t- yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, this is a great thing you're doing with the Beatles. I, I well, really thanks, love dude. it. It's, uh, um, I don't know how, first of all, how you even judge where it goes, what ranking you give these because i couldn't do that i tried I, you know when I, you first started doing this so i was like no way i have too many favorites yeah uh, and then and then you hear another song you go wait hold on time out but scratch that put this one in there yeah <laughs> you know and so it's really difficult thing to do i it, feel it's tough um you know and there have been times where i've kind of especially based on like recent episodes i've i've maybe like reassessed in my head some things um, but I'm leaving the rankings as they stay right now, just to like stay true to the integrity of the list. Uh, but man, it was really just brought out of boredom. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> in the you. first couple of months of lockdown, it was just like, Oh my God. Like I I'd, I'd recorded a bunch of music and I'd like completed that project and I was just bored, you know, it was like, what can I yep. do? And I just was like, I'm going to rank the entire catalog of the Beatles. Like what a great idea I did. And it just over the course of a couple of days, it came together and then I started posting it on Facebook. And then from there it was just like this thing that grew and somebody was like, man, you should make a podcast out of this. And well, uh, and uh, you learned how to do podcasts now. So yeah. You're pretty still teased. learning, <laughs> still learning how to right. do it as evidenced by our half hour delay in getting, <laughs> getting rolling well, today. Okay. But um, yeah, it's been fun and you know, and it's, I really enjoyed getting to talk to people and finding like these cool common threads that everyone has um, as it pertains to like this music. And I think it's, it's showing a really neat, um, a really neat through line that this music provides for like people from all different walks of life. Yeah. So I think it's been a pretty cool journey thus far. I agree. Yeah. The Beatles uh, definitely uh, put everybody in the same Ask, you know, puts everybody together. Bring, sure. You know, I always tell people that, you know, I realize that you know, they really didn't sing anything negative. Everything was about love. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, that was the charm to me, I guess, un, unknowingly. Right. Yeah. Well, well, the, the, the popular stuff was pretty much about love. There's a, there's a couple, couple well, uh, you know, dark you tracks to, yeah. here and there. <laughs> you, get where, you get to where we were going today. And, you know, <laughs> right. Go south, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and revolution and 
yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's like one of the things that, you know, that Kamalansan brought up was like, you know, you can be out on tour playing in a different room every night with a different band and, or be on tour with a band for like three weeks as like a, you know, like either supporting or, or whatever. And it's always kind of awkward at first, but at some point the conversation comes up of like, Oh, what's your favorite track off revolver or something like that. And then the conversation just starts. Like when I joined cowboy mouth, uh, like I didn't know you from, and you didn't know me. Like we had never really met, but granted, like we were stuck in like a bus together, but eventually like we kind of found all these same commonalities, including right. like we could just sit down and play pretty much any Beatles song we thought of. Right. And, you know, once you make that kind of connection, it opens up all these other doors. You bond it. And it you bonds bond. you. Yeah. It really, it really bonds you. It yep. does. More than anybody else's music, I can I can honestly say. Yeah. From our generation, from our, you know, from my life. From any generation that I can think yeah. of. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, I remember like one of the, the first few weeks I was out with y'all, you know, we were sitting in the back of the bus and we ended up just kind of like stumbling into like doing this boy. And it was like, oh, right. we all knew how to do that. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> we just did three-part harmony that we've never sang together I, before. <laughs> I know, and those harmonies were stellar. I gotta say, it yeah, was, we it was beautiful. we nailed that. I shit. mean, there's a YouTube. Video it is on YouTube, yeah. This boy wants you back again. This boy. This boy. This boy. Thanks, y'all. So let's um let's go back in time a little bit. I want to go back to your childhood a little bit. Um, you know, you grew, you kind of jumped around from, from state to state growing up. Where do the Beatles first come into your radar? Um, dude, you know, I, I honestly could see it like it was yesterday. And I just remember when we lived in Houston, I was probably, um, we moved there when I was three and I moved to California when I was eight. So somewhere in that 63 to 68 period, um, I remember jumping on the couch and singing she loves you yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> over and over over again to my mom and throw me off the couch and say <laughs> you know but that was it was early 60s you know probably about four or five years old mm-hmm. you know it's amazing you uh you know i see kids uh people our age who have kids now and you know that they're um five six seven you know that they know that they're starting to absorb in the music right. a little bit yeah you know, sing along the radio, and um, it's just pretty interesting. I didn't realize that that was how young it, I was, you know, mm-hmm. but pretty cool. Yeah, and it was just off the races, you know, because when I moved to California at 68, uh, my dad bought me a little cassette recorder and a you know FM radio, and it was just gloves came, I mean, it was just open season. Yeah. <laughs> the world just became wide open to everything, and all you know, the music were all the time. Yeah. <laughs> What was like the first, I guess, aside from like that, she loves you memory. What, what, what was the first time that like a song or a record really made you like listen with like intent, like really like caught your, your brain. I would say Sergeant Pepper. 
Yeah. You know, I mean, they had you know great records in Revolver and Rubber Soul and stuff, but I, I was too young to really, I didn't, couldn't afford records probably, and wasn't buying a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I just remember um, my buying Sergeant Pepper from the store and going home, and it was just you know, off the chart great, you know. Uh, it, it's it's funny because when we get to talking about these songs in a little bit, uh, uh, they're so they, they were so influenced by American music. You can tell, I, I think. Oh yeah. You know, I think yeah. they picked up little nuances of stuff that was going on over here and just kind of made it their own. Particularly the Beach Boys. Yeah. You know? Like especially on this track, but even down to the yeah 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 of she loves you. That's an Americanism. And you right. know, one of the things on the, one of the stories about that song is them playing it for Paul's dad and him going, you know, couldn't you say yes, yes, yes. And sound a bit uh, more polished maybe. <laughs> right. <laughs> Too refined. Yeah. A little bit less American, <laughs> but right. obviously that wasn't the right call. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah, we'll put the and some violins on it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. a, little, a little jazz orchestra. Uh-huh. So, so Sergeant Pepper gets you, you, you graduate high school, you go off to college, you're playing in, in, in bands. Uh, you start the red rockers. Um, you know, you guys start off as a punk band, uh, and in, in late 79, 79, what are, so what in that punk scene, what, how are the, how are the Beatles viewed at that point in time? Cause I, I've gotten the vibe that like they're seen as like this passe dinosaur thing at that point in a lot of circles. Not really, because um, uh, especially in New Orleans, the the rockabilly scene went kind of hand in hand with the punk scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just that's just by the fault of being population, to being so many people and bands that were uh, alternative, I guess so to speak, with alternative th- minds and wanted to play alternative music. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know the you know, John, you know, you kind of have this. Uh, especially John Lennon had this, uh, you know, a swagger, a kind of a rockabilly swagger, I thought, always, you know, um, kind of rebel without a cause. Yeah. Thing. Um, the leather teddy boy look. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and by that time, you know, um, they had gone through all their Helter Skelter stuff and uh, revolu- you know, revolution. And so I kind of think that they were... I never thought of them as any less or dinosaur-y or, mm-hmm. you know, they're the Beatles and nobody's going to be the Beatles. Right. Uh, you know, we used to have this thing on WRNO, the rock station back in the 70s, for there will never be another Beatles. And that <laughs> they was their, still that was play it. that. On a they WTIX do? they do. Yeah, on TIX. Okay. They do like a Breakfast with the Beatles. Is it every Sunday? Every Sunday, yeah. And they yeah. still, like, they still lay that for in there will never be another, another Beatles. Another Beatles. <laughs> yep. Yep. That's awesome. So, you know, and that's true. There never would. So, you, I mean, everybody has their respect. Yeah. Did you, uh, when you were, when you were in that punk scene at that point in time, did you find, could, could you look back now, I guess, in hindsight and say, you know, the music you were writing at that point had any influence from the, that derived uh, from the Beatles or from no, their songwriting not, style? Not as much as it did like the Clash or the. The Damned or some uh, English or Ramones mm-hmm. um, of that time, but I will say this: on Schizophrenic Circus, we got a little bit more, um, I guess, beatly psychedelic, right? With the, with the uh, layering of the multi harmonies, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, at the end of a song called "Another Day," I had written this uh, piano piece 
at home in my living room and it just um i was just practicing i was basically exercising and starting in a minor chord and then flowing down a two and then ending on a c major happy chord mm-hmm. uh, and taking that and just turning the the, the sadness and the, the happy the, okay that a, a good ending you know yeah. feel, vibe yeah. And so when we did another day, I didn't. Re- it just had dawned on me one time, the day in the studio, that hey, you know, the song's in B minor. That's when I start that piano piece. Then. So it hooked, it just fell right into place. Yeah. And it worked great. And so we had done another song on that record, um, Shades of 45, where we uh, kind of half timed the ending, mm-hmm. uh, which kind of very beatily kind of. Um, I can't think of it. Oh, uh, She's So Heavy? Yeah. I want she's you, so She's So Heavy. Yeah. So that, that definitely came out of something uh, in the subconscious with She's So Heavy or Beatly, that psychedelic, really crazy mm-hmm. piece. As y'all moved in, as the Red Rockers go into more of a, in, more into kind of like a new wave style, you know. Well, let me say, also, I would say we covered Get Back. Really? Mm-hmm. When, when when were y'all covering that? That was in the 80, I remember we did this radio show at, uh, at uh, this cafe in New York City in Manhattan, and we had to play uh, uh, extended hours, so we had to learn a bunch of stuff, and one of the songs we decided to learn was get back interesting that's that's an interesting cover for a punk rooted band that's mm-hmm. you know dipping into new wave territory at that well point. you know we uh i don't think we i, I don't i don't myself i've never thought of myself as getting pinned into that one genre yeah stay in there yeah you know, uh, uh, life's too short to right <laughs> To stay in one little place. Um, I think that's one of the cool things about those three records y'all made, though, is like it starts off in punk and then it kind of gets to the new wave thing. But then towards like the second half of Good is Gold and into Schizophrenic Circus, it kind of just bounces around into all these different worlds, which, you know, from an A&R perspective or, you know, someone trying to sell that record, they're like, what the fuck do we do with this? But for from an artist perspective, you know, that's very much, you know, a Beatles move of going, you know, we're just making what we want to make. Well, you know, I think that's been my philosophy all along. It's it's like, I don't, I just write whatever I like to hear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not selfish, but, um, I don't care. Right. (laughs) I don't think it's selfish. It's, I think think you're supposed to, that's what you're supposed to do as an artist. Yeah. Yeah. I I don't think you'd be true to yourself if you tried to write stuff that sounded like, you know, Justin Bieber or whatever, you know? Right. Right. Yeah, you know, I just think it's uh, to me. It's I don't like to write the same song over again, and yeah. uh, uh, repeat something similar. I like to try to make every song different in yeah. some respect. So, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, that's and that's kind of probably influenced by the Beatles. You know, they had to, there were so many different genres. I mean, I love um, uh, 
I want you. And mm. it, it, they go through the bossa nova part, and then there's the rock that's kind of, I want you. Do, do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want you. And then it goes, and they, I want you. And it starts rocking. Rock, so yeah. they cover a lot of different you know genres in that song. Yeah. Uh, like two or three. And I, I find that really interesting. That you, I think it's a great um, indictment on their songwriting, because if you could take those different, incorporate those different genres in the, their, that song, Mm-hmm. It was show you writing great stuff, you know. I mean, yeah. It could be done any way possible, and it still sounds great. Yeah. You know? And I think that's I think that's held through looking, you know, as I look through the work that you've done through your time with Cowboy Mouth. You know, every record, your songs are always very different. You know, it's you know, you've gone from rockabilly to country to Americana to rock to you know pop to more punk to you know i mean everything each record you know your tracks are always different than the last tracks on your last on the last record um so it's kind of shown that through line i think has continued and that's you know that's always been one of my favorite parts of those records is like hearing like what kind of stuff you're coming up with for these records oh by the way dude i want to say i forgot to say happy birthday oh thank you happy birthday to you happy birthday to you you look like a monkey, and you smell like one too. Oh, man. Uh, I feel like so I'm true. seven uh, again. I haven't heard birthday, that in ages. I Thanks, forgot man. all about. It. I saw Jules post the the post on Facebook last night. I, I don't I haven't been on Facebook. I've been traveling and moving around. And, oh yeah, you're um, and a I man of the to, world. It's okay. No, I just went to Houston. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying hard to catch the virus. No, right. <laughs> get that herd mentality, bro. <laughs> That's the you heard mentality. Uh, womp womp. You heard mentality. I love it. Well, let's um let's go ahead and hop into our first song for the day. Cool. Cool. All right, John Thomas, if you would please give me a drum roll, my friend. Coming in at number one ninety four is back in the USSR. In the early part of 1968, while the Beatles were in Rishikesh, India, studying with the Maharishi, Paul's Back in the USSR got its title inspiration from a short-lived patriotic campaign called I'm Backing Britain, which was aimed at boosting the British economy. His original idea was I'm Backing the UK, and then as creative whims often do, uh, this morphed into I'm Backing the USSR, uh, and then struck a Chuck Berry nerve. And he drew inspiration from his song Back in the USA, which then turns into Back in the USSR. It's a weird long thread that he wrote there. Uh, the Chuck Berry influence doesn't stop at the title, though, as this, the track borrows gratuitously from Chuck's early rock and roll guitar style and uses the same landmark and location callout method that he employs as well. Uh, now, also at the retreat in Rishikesh is the absolute worst member of the Beach Boys, if not the worst villain in all of rock and roll, Mike Love. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who has used every opportunity possible to remind people of the time that he suggested to Paul McCartney that he ought to sing about all the girls in Russia and the Ukraine. 
The idea, of course, has turned into the Beach Boy-style bridge on the song, with a vocal harmony lifted straight out of Surf in USA. Now, McCartney first demos this song at George's Bungalow in Esher in May of 1968, and the band began work on the track uh, August 22nd, uh, during what had become an increasingly contentious session for the White Album. Uh, at some point during the session, Paul apparently is poking at Ringo over his drum part uh, and kind of ribbing him about a fill he's having trouble with. Ringo decides, fuck this shit, I've had enough, and walks out of the band for the first time. Now, Paul dutifully takes his place behind the drum kit. John picks up the six-string bass uh, and the band soldier on. They spend that day and the next recording the song, piecemealing a drum track together between Paul's track and overdubs from John and George, as well as laying down various parts on top of Paul's rhythm track. Uh, interestingly, uh, they record the track slower and in the key of G. The track is then sped up to the key of A, where Paul uh, records his vocal. Did uh, I know that? Yeah, I didn't know it either until they put out the uh, the White Album Deluxe box set. Oh, and it was wow, like, whoa, cool. this is slow and in G. Interesting. Ringo rejoins the band two weeks later. However, this track is already finished, and they don't reapproach it for the drummer to actually perform on the song. Uh, the last day of the White Album session is a 24-hour mixing session in which John and Paul determine the sequencing of the album and oversee all the crossfades between the songs. They select Back in the USSR, featuring only three of the four Beatles, to feature as the album opener on an album titled The Beatles. So, why do I have this song at number 194. So if the white album is supposed to be there back to basics return to form, you know, after the psychedelic world of Sgt. Pepper and magical mystery tour, starting the album with the 1950s Chuck Berry style rocker is probably a great way to establish that return to form. Uh, there's definitely an energy on the track that puts it in the list of like great uptempo album openers, kind of in the same page as I saw her standing there in a hard day's night. That said, I've always felt kind of uneasy about this track uh, as simple a rock and roll song as it is, and as tight of a band as the Beatles can be, the song is just kind of sloppy. Uh, and the biggest culprit here, in my opinion, and I'm probably going to catch a lot of shit for this, is Paul's drumming. I don't really like Paul's drumming. I've never cared for it. Uh, there's a difference in feel between Paul and Ringo, and it's really on display here. Um, the fills are rushed. Every drum fill is rushed. It just feels like he's tripping down the stairs. Um, snare hits get missed and then snare hits are overdubbed throughout all the rushed drum fills. For some reason, Paul loves to overdub like continual, like quarter note and half note snare drum hits throughout his drum fills. I've never understood that. Um, and when the drummer isn't solid, it's nearly impossible for the rest of the band to be solid. Like that's just a fact of music. Um, and you know, and coming off of the heels of a stretch of all this progress and imagination, you know, all, stemming all the way from I saw her standing there to Tomorrow Never Knows to Strawberry Fields to I'm the Walrus. This is the first time we see the band actually take a step back musically, um, which is unusual. And they haven't been a live rock and roll band since the since August of 66. And a song like this needs the tightness of a band who's been playing live with a drummer who's rock solid and smokes it, you know, and that's just not happening here. And I think, you know, you see this difference between this song and something like revolution, which is similar in its simplicity and throwback style, but with a solid drummer, it makes the track all that much stronger. Um, you know, also it's the first time since the early days we hear them trying to sound like someone else hearing them do like a straight up Chuck Berry track and aping the beach boys completely almost seems kind of cheap for a band who's been inventing everything for the last four years. 
Um, honestly, if I want to hear the Beach Boys or like that style of the Beach Boys, I'm going to listen to early Beach Boys. I don't want to hear someone else try to do it. Um, it just never feels like a successful Beatles track to me. It's almost like a demo or rehearsal, maybe. And I think it's maybe kind of a cheap shot of them to lead the uh, to lead the record off with this song. And I almost can't help but wonder if it's their way of saying, like, leave if you want. We can do this with or without you because right. I can play drums. We can overdub it and we can make it a track and it's still going to sell because we're the Beatles. So I don't know. It's it's just never really sat well with me. What do you think? Uh I particularly like it because it is a rock track and they went back to basic. I, I prefer, I mean, I, I kind of like that. And, um, Dance with Who Brung You. you know, yeah. Uh, and I guess, I don't know, it's probably a weird, puts you in a weird predicament when your drummer leaves and uh, what do you do now? You can't dig Pete Best up. But, <laughs> you know, but... Yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know, you just kind of make got to make do and you just got to do what you got to do or figure it out. Because, uh, I mean, the, those guys were so um, prolific that they were right. I mean, stuff's coming up and you want to get it down. Yeah. And get, you know, move on to the next thing. Because, uh, yeah, I, I just, I really, I thought, I, I'm glad you read all that stuff because I had no idea a lot of it, how it went down mm-hmm. it's interesting because I always thought that that was when I first heard the song that oh wow that's cool it's a shout out even though I didn't know any of the particulars it was a cool shout out to the Beach Boys it was pretty obvious yeah oh yeah you know, you know we're digging the Beach Boys and we think they're cool and so we're gonna rip that the rip the part off <laughs> right <laughs> and it's from... at a time when like the Beach Boys are like decidedly uncool in like yeah I think you know in the public persona like you know, the, they were a little too pamby pamby. Yeah, like once they stopped getting psychedelic, like you know, like after like Pet Sounds and Smile fell apart, and then they just kind of well, became, they weren't getting arrested or anything. So yeah, they, they just seemed kind of <laughs> lame to everybody. And right. not that they are. I mean, I'm a huge. I love the Beach Boys, and I love this period of what they're doing. But yeah, I think it's interesting that like they're like doing like old Beach Boys stuff when that stuff is seen as kind of like passe. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I think, you know, after they've toured America and they've met everybody, Bob Dylan to, to the Beach Boys and pal around with them, I, I get pretty, I, I think it's a kind of a tip to the hat to, to how they were influenced by American music, you know? And, yeah. um, I don't think they, they wear it on their sleeve. They're not shy about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I thought. That was great. I, I thought it was a rocking track when it first came out, you know? But, um, because they, they were getting psychedelic and I don't know I just loved everything they did so it didn't matter yeah. I never did judge it you know it's a cool track uh, um, one of my questions for you maybe is is that McCartney playing the lead because it really sounds like it doesn't sound like a George Harrison it's both Paul and George on lead guitars really? here yeah okay so I'm not I'm not positive who's doing like the solo itself it does sound a bit more McCartney-esque McCartney-esque very simple. I will say this, you know, they were always, the Beatles were always, uh, they weren't flashy. They played what needed to be played. It seemed always be right, at yep. the right place, the right time, the right space. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, where it's supposed to be. Uh, they just had a knack to not overdo it, you know, and just just, just play one note, you know. Yeah. You, to, you <laughs> yeah. know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was really, uh, that's what I, I, I respect uh, of their, especially McCartney too, you know. Mm-hmm. Not flashy, but. It gets the point across, and yeah, 
They're pretty good at self-editing. Oh, they're the, the masters at that. <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. yeah. There's like nothing pretty gratuitous good. on a Beatles track. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> well. On the majority. I would disagree on a couple instances. <laughs> That's true. But. What do you think of this song? What are your thoughts here? I think that the coolest part of this song is the like airplane sound at the very <laughs> oh, beginning. Oh, I was going to bring that up. <laughs> I agree with Jules. I agree. When I first heard that, I thought that was the coolest thing to yep. put on a record. Yeah, right? that's actually like a really cool way to not only kick off a song, but to kick off a new record. Like imagine if you're like a teen getting this record where like, you know, really, whatever, a person getting this record for the first time like oh my god new Beatles album is out let's go get it and you like drop it on the record player you drop the needle and then it's like a fucking jet on top of you <laughs> yeah. like what wow. I, I agree. I'm glad you brought that up because that was what I had in my notes here I was like that was one of the coolest thing that's one of the things I thought the Beatles really did well was the add effects you know kind of whether it was like a I mean, jump to a song that didn't have anything to do with the first five of the song, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but that, I agree with Jules, man. That was really a cool uh, ad. I will tell you, you know, and at the end, it's landing, you know. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you two things about that. Right, uh -oh. one, I agree. I love that part You're of the song. You're gonna ruin it for me. And I love the fact that Oasis started "Be Here Now" <laughs> with like oh, yeah, with 40 seconds thing. of a plane, <laughs> and then a helicopter comes in. And like, uh, yeah, I'd love that. Um, secondly, <laughs> what's, the, what's the Oasis the live the live album when they're coming on stage and it sounds like a war is going oh, on? Oh yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they used a helicopter in like every record for some reason. They had a thing about helicopters. It was weird. Um, secondly, my high school band, uh, Climate Control, which was baller as hell. We were great. Um, we Wait, actually it was called Climate Control. It was called Climate Control. Dude, you're way ahead of your time, man. <laughs> not, climate. not climate change, climate control. Well, you got to control it to change it. Right? <laughs> we got to sweep the forest. That's all we got to do. Um, sweep the forest. We started our album off with that jet. We just, at the studio we were at, we had a record player. We played it and just stole it. Just put it straight into Pro Tools and cut the jet right into the track. You're kidding. Not dead serious wow we didn't wow. care at all Hilarious. i mean we were printing cds on our compact desktop computers to you know sell for five dollars like handwritten liner notes well, copy uh, oh it's no, all printed I, I, on a I, I, on an inkjet printer yeah. uh to be to, to show the influence of stuff like that you know it's uh, like on apples and onions i started off the record with basically i recorded uh the speaker intercom system at, at ms at a uh, moisant mm -hmm. national uh, they do a little announcement. I just have held my recorder up to the ceiling and and I, I recorded that and the, and another one in French. Late, you know, later there's a French version. National Airport wishes to advise passengers to take extra care of their baggage and parcels. Please keep your belongings with you at all times and under no circumstances should you transport packages or baggage for unknown persons. Thank you for your cooperation, and if you're traveling today, the Louis Armstrong New Orleans International Airport wishes you a safe trip. Yeah. And then, uh, it's great because at the end of the album, I'm playing the French version, and then Louis Armstrong comes on. You know, you, <laughs> you can hear the horn, it just kind of fades out. Yeah. But that's that's where I get those, I'm sure that's where I get that influence from. Yeah. From hearing stuff like that, you know, 
planes taken off on Beatle records and whatnot. Yeah. I'm sure someone else was doing it besides them, but that's, I mean, everyone's, you know, stealing ideas from things the Beatles did for the most part. Mm-hmm. So aside from the, from the plane. Aside from the super cool plane, um, just never been a big fan of this song. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. It's kind of, I, I told John that earlier, like, this is kind of my go to the bathroom during the concert song. Oh. Like, okay, I've heard it. I get it. Like, it, it's, I got a couple minutes. I'm, I'm going to head. <laughs> I'm going to head to the it's bathroom kind of real a, quick. <laughs> well, you know, it's kind of a traveling song. Um, that I love the first line. It's a classic. It's a flew in from Miami Beach, B-O-A-C. That's, I mean, that's, I, that's the kind of lyrics I prefer, I like, because it just cuts to the chase. He doesn't say what he just goes B O A C, and it works perfectly. I know? didn't know what that was for years. It's an airline company. Yeah, it's, it's what a, British. It's the uh, predecessor to British Airways. Back in the '60s, it was uh, so I, I just thought that you know I flew in from Miami Beach on a jet plane. That is not gonna work. <laughs> I flew in from Miami Beach uh, on a rocket. No, I mean just the the letters of the the, the flew in from Miami Beach. And boy, are my arms tired. <laughs> Well, yeah, or TWA, it didn't work, you know, <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's kind of interesting that, 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 I guess you had to know what that was. I mean, a lot of people probably didn't know what BOAC was, maybe, yeah. I don't know. And but, uh, most of the time, Paul McCartney has such a great way with words of Taking something as simple as the the, 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 the airline the, company and uh-huh. dropping it into a song perfectly with the melody and making it work so well. And then sometimes we have our next track. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The man's got away with words and then sometimes he doesn't. Until he doesn't. <laughs> and then it's just a mess. So surprise. So not a fan. Not a huge fan. Okay, okay. I will say it's it's pretty uh, on the other side. It is pretty cheap to uh, basically they they took California girls the idea you know you yeah know, uh, Moscow girls and this all that stuff and uh, pretty much that's that's direct steal you know. Well, when uh, when Mike Love says you know hey man take the cheap easy way out. <laughs> right. You're like okay Mike sure. Oh look Mike sure, Love man, runs again. Permission. Right. Mike's got an idea, guys. Great. <laughs> Mike loves here to ruin something else. <laughs> <laughs> this is a guy who, like, in 1968, is off studying transcendental med- meditation while also being, like, a massive dickhead to Brian Wilson. Yeah. Like. Because he's the worst. That's all you got to know about the guy. He's the worst. Yeah. Well, you know, I know I know people like that. Yeah. <laughs> <gasps> Ooh. That's it. Off the record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so. At number 194, how do we feel? How does that stack up for you, John Thomas? Would you have it higher or lower? Uh, I think you got it where it's good. That's a good place. Yeah. Satisfies the, the yeah, hunger for I'm, you? Okay. Uh, yeah, I like it. Julia? Higher or lower? I'm still mad that the long and winding road is behind us. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Every episode. <laughs> that's I why just, this is so difficult. Yeah. It yeah, is. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm giving him a hard time because I can, because it's my job as his wife. Like um, the way she pointed out this morning when we were talking about this was like, if we go see McCartney live, when he plays back in the USSR, she's going to go pee. When he plays <laughs> the long and winding road, that's when I'm going to go pee. Yeah. Everybody has uh, their bathroom song. It's fine. 
Yeah. It's okay. But I'm not going to let it go. I'm not saying that I'm going <laughs> to stop making fun of you for this. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. But, um, no, you guys don't break yeah. over, up over this. Oh, no. That's not what I want. <laughs> that won't happen. This podcast will not break our, right, our marriage asunder. Sending us. All right. <laughs> Who gets the podcast and the divorce? Oh, I do. You're not doing this shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're not doing this without me. That's Let's be you're real. Completely right. I would not. I would shut it down. <laughs> no, I know. I know. Um, yeah, I think it's, I don't know. I, I, I think it's fine where it is. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's fine. Okay. I'd probably have it down here somewhere. All right. Okay. Well, let's uh let's put a we'll put a pin in that one. Let's jump ahead a few tracks on the same record. Bum, 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 bum. Coming in at number 193, Why Don't We Do It in the Road? Why don't we do it in the road? So, back in Rishikesh, Paul claims one morning while sitting on a rooftop and meditating, he noticed a group of monkeys walking together. One of the monkeys suddenly jumps on the back of another one and gave her the old one-two, if you know what I'm saying. And in that moment, the seedling of a song was born. This is how he describes. This is also unnecessary. Uh, (laughs) So, fast forward to Abbey Road in October uh, of that year. Paul records the uh, the basic track for this acoustic solo in a separate room at Abbey Road while John and, John and George are working on other tracks in Studio 2. Uh, his original approach was acoustic with verses alternating in vocal styles, uh, starting laid back and mellow and pushing progressively harder and louder on each subsequent repeating verse. Uh, the next day, John and George are still in Studio 2 working on string overdubs for tracks. Uh, so Paul brings Ringo in to the other studio to play drums on the track, overdubs piano and acoustic guitar. The song is released on the White Album. Uh, John maintains that he's actually quite hurt when Paul would record tracks uh, without including the other band members at this time, like he's done on this song. Now, even though John had just done the same thing with Revolution 9 a few weeks earlier, um, but that's basically the short and simple history of why don't we do it in the road. Number 193. Why do I have it here at 193? There's not much to say pro or con about this song because there's really not much of a song to it. Uh, it's a simple 145 blues uh, blues riff with two there's, lyrics there's, of lines. There's no bridge. There's Yeah. There's, it's just, yeah. It's like the chorus over and over. Yeah, it's one line repeated with one, you know, alternate mm-hmm. line. Uh, I will say Paul's vocal on it, like when he gets into like the, the third and fourth voice, or third and yep. fourth verse, Dude smokes it. Like he's at a point vocally where like he's on top of the world. He's one of the best yeah. singers in the world at this point. And he has been for several years. I mean, he's throwing back to the kind of vocal that he was pulling out on long tall Sally a couple years earlier, right. but it's even like bigger and stronger because now he's not nastier. doing it. It's nastier because yeah. he's not out, you know, doing it in front of crowds with no monitors, you right. know, for a hundred nights a year. Uh, he's just saving it up for the studio. So when he like has to summon it, like big and it's ballsy, it's cool. Um, 
you know, as a simple a song as it is, I just feel like there's something that's not quite there. Like, I, know what it I is. can't help but feel like if they hadn't worked on, like if they'd worked on this in a band, like as a band, it could have been something like it could have been more than just repeating one line over and over again. Um, you know, I, I kind of, I'm comparing it in my notes to don't let me down, uh, which has one lyric in the chorus. It's just repeated. And then the verses have two lines. Like they're both equally as simple songs. When John brought in, don't let me down. All he had was the chorus, which is two chords and don't let me down. And, you know, together he and John and Paul turned that into what is, you know, considered a classic Beatles song. Um, you know, I, I don't dislike, why don't we do it in the road? I just feel like it's kind of half baked. And an example of something that could have been stronger if they were better able to function as a unit at this point in their career. I think things are just, you know, egos are big, temper, tempers are high, and, like, everyone's just doing whatever the hell they want to. Right. I agree. Yeah. Uh, you know, my, my first, when I listened to it yesterday, um, I just, I remember now how out of tune everything is. Yeah. And that it's almost like the character of the song it, the piano is out of tune, and when that guitar, the little slide guitar comes in, it's mm-hmm. so out of tune. It's it, <laughs> it's so low in the mix. And, yeah, and it's like uh, so. Obviously, they were. I, I agree. Maybe they were going through some the strife or whatever, and just weren't just get in the studio, just play something, and get get out of there, and, right? Uh, get away from everybody. Uh, but that's my main. Uh, my. my um, uh, observation when I first hear the song is how out of tune everything is yeah and it's that old honky tonk piano um, I, I think they were kind of ahead of their time though with that beat with that kind of dun, 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 because a lot of people are using that now and a great example is that uh, Emil Sande song next to me I mean, it's not the same chord progression, but right. it's the same just, the pounding of the piano. Yeah, just kind of that on. driving quarter note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So why don't we do it in the... Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. Which is the playing for, you know, just really simple. Yeah. And, and I think, yeah, and this is another example of like, you know, had Paul played drums on this track, it wouldn't groove the way it does with Ringo. I, I figured it would sound more that. like something off of the McCartney album where it, it it's a functional drum track. It's fine. But like Ringo's got that thing, you know, he's just a swagger yeah. way of whatever it is that mercy beat, whatever it is that he has. Yeah. Yeah. I saw recently him, uh, I saw a video of him playing with this guy, uh, Billy, uh, what was it? What's his name? Ray Hubbard, um, Billy Ray Hubbard or something like that. Is that, uh, kind of a country singer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to look him up. But anyway, he was doing a session, and they had Ringo on drums, Don Wise on bass, and uh, I forgot who else was on guitar. Something pretty big. It was an all-star lineup. I was like, wow. Yeah. Yes, yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, I think he's uh, Ringo's just got uh, that touch, you know, laid back. He doesn't rush. Like, not um, at all. It's, he's so good. Yeah. yeah. You know, and one of the things that made me think about is the story of, um, you know, one of your better known songs is Everybody Loves Jill, which, as you've told me, started out just as one line 
you know, just the chorus as like right. a joke about our friend. Right. Um, and then, you know, somebody was like, let's work this into an actual full song and like put heads together. And all of a sudden, this one joke kind of riffy thing that could have been turned into like a 30 second little bullshit track became, you know, a three minute, 30 second song that like you've gotten a ton of mileage from, you know? Right. Yep. Well, you know, I was going to say, you know, I wondered also, the, the, you know, when, uh, I'm sure McCarty is playing Ringo's drum kit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But let's assume he is, and uh, he's left-handed, so he's going to be kind of awkward. I would, I would assume, even for anybody who's had to, he's not ambidextrous. Yeah. I, can feel, I mean, I can't. I'm just trying to hit a snare with my left hand. Like, well, he plays a he plays a right-handed kit, and Ringo's left-handed oh, too. Yeah, and they both oh, play really? a right-handed kit. Yeah, that's what makes Ringo's thing so unique is that he starts his fill with his left hand instead of his right hand. So it gives like a different kind of push and pull quality on his drum fills. Uh, yeah. Interesting. Great, yeah. great, uh, great observation. Well, thank you. <laughs> That's why you're the man. That's, I'll, I'll That's take why it. you're the host. <laughs> what do you think, my love? What do you think? Um, I feel this feels like to me, uh, like I know you told me that Paul would sometimes do like the scrambled eggs, like when he didn't know what words to put in and he was just trying to figure out the melody and you just wanted something in there. Mm-hmm. This is what that song feels like to me. And they just didn't do the next step of like putting the real words. Like where's the rest of the song? Like it starts out and you're like, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And then it's just the same thing over and over. And you're like, okay, but what's next? Yeah. <laughs> okay. But what else? <laughs> well, you know, okay. I, I want to say too, I, I, I love the fact that they uh, are not afraid to, kind of pushed the innuendo you know a little mm-hmm. bit a, a lot uh, yeah. at this point in their career you know at that, this time with the later on but they didn't care you know like uh and that's the great thing about old blue stuff you know it's the innuendo is just, it's oh, so yeah. obvious yeah i'm yeah. gonna take you home and put it in your butt you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, that is that's not what that's not an innuendo <laughs> you can't say that. that's in something so, <laughs> you can't say that. So what do you do? You go, well, why won't we do it in the road? I'll be your you know, back doorman. Kind of, <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I mean, you're not thinking about a bunch of monkeys, you know, you're thinking, uh, you know, peace and love. And, and you know, that was the era when, and the time when people were hippie and, you know, loved the one you're with and all that stuff. And yeah, uh, it's uh, procreating uh, in the road, you know, or in the park, you know, right. or, or, you know, at a festival. It's just know. natural. <laughs> yeah. Hey, you know. Yeah. Sing about stuff that's natural, you know. Can we please Love write a talk. Can we please write a blues song for your next album called I'm going to put it in your butt. <laughs> okay. I'm going to put it put in it your butt. I do not approve of this. <laughs> I feel like if we were out somewhere right now like we'd be playing that song. <laughs> that would be a sound check jam <laughs> for the oh next few gosh. weeks. Oh my gosh. Ah. So yeah, it's weird. There's not. How do you? There's nothing to talk about because there's nothing yeah. there. It's one line. That's it. Yeah. Or two lines. All I, guess, I keep thinking is like, I feel like John could have found a really cool counterpart. Counter. I feel like John could have found a really cool counterpart harmony on mm-hmm. this, mm-hmm. and like, hearing George play some leads in between things would have been really cool. And all of yeah. a sudden, you'd have had a really cool bluesy track that the whole band plays on it's like, it sounds like a mccartney solo track like you said yeah yeah like this is like you'd hear it on mccartney or wildlife or something like that it's like an early mccartney early wings thing 
And um, isn't this the kind of time when he was starting to do that? Yeah, I mean he's he's, he's writing things take... he's writing things that end up on the first you know first record. Like he's got songs like Teddy Boy and Junk and things like that that are gonna get you know sat you know he's gonna sit on those for a year until he starts you know, working by himself. Yeah, you know I mean he's just buying his time at that point. Um, right. But yeah, you know just the, it, you hear it and you're like this could have been something a lot cooler, even if it's still like an innuendo jokey track I think it could have been a lot cooler I think what makes it really like I agree with you is, is his vocal yes yeah. it's, it's, it's a classic it's McCarty. a great vote yeah it's yeah. one of his yeah. one of his best vocals at some point like, yeah it's just smokes 193 how do we feel there's not much to say about it yeah <laughs> I don't know uh, it could be further down the line but that's up that's your call you know yeah <laughs> you would maybe yeah. put long and winding road <laughs> above this one though I don't know. I, well, I like where you had it. I don't know uh, what number that is. I, I, I think it was like six or seven. <laughs> no, and that's like one, two, two, yeah, it was. That's like uh, bottom of the list. Twenty back, yeah. So much anyway. anger. <laughs> Thinking about the kind of psyche of where they are during these sessions, where like there's just drama. Everybody's kind of you know bitching at each other. All these tensions are coming up you know, to the surface. You know. You've been, you know, Cowboy Mouth's been going for 30 years. There have been records you guys have made where, you know, certain band members are sitting out the whole, sitting out the album, or, you know, there's been records where one person did everything and it's go, it goes out as a band album, which kind of touches both of these songs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what kind of sight, what kind of toll does that take on the collective psyche of a band? Whereas, like, for the Beatles, this ultimately is, like, part of what leads to their collapse. You know, like... Well- the main difference, of course, is uh, they're super uber successful world in a galactic kind of way, you know. And you know, Cowboy Mouth is a locally kind of level. I would say regional, more nationally at that at best. And um, so there's a there's some ego to it, you know. That, that uh, you get your feelings kind of a little bit hurt, but you don't let it show and. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, just it is what it is, and you just move on. And you, what it does, it basically calluses you, and you go and you wind up doing your own thing. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, it's just well, you know what? It's a, the age old thing where you know, if you don't like the song, you can go write your own song, right? You know, whatever. Uh, you know, if you don't like it, and, it, and that's true, and you got to tell yourself that a lot. I, I really found it, uh, it, that I was best being a compromising person. Mm-hmm. Than, than to get upset about it it's not worth it you know yeah. I can go off and make my own records if I want to um, I don't have to be on a Calvary Mouth record you know it's not that it was never that important it was not my band to start with so mm-hmm. I never felt like it was imperative that I have tracks on a Calvary Mouth record right whereas some other former members had felt like it was like do or die it's like life or death if I don't get a song on this record mm-hmm. and so when they're left off the record I'm sure it really is hurtful and uh, you know when you're in a band like when I was in Red Rockers it was uh, very the camaraderie was uh, so palatable it was, it was uh, three guys growing up in the same neighborhood with high school together uh, take a you know it's very three. very Beatles it's very gang-like, you yeah. Know? Um, and a boys' club and a Three Musketeers attitude, and you know, whereas Cowboy Mouth, it's uh, it's led by a, a 
charismatic guy. It's it's uh, I really uh, he's a really great songwriter in my opinion. And but it's um, if you're gonna think you're gonna get one over over you know or in the mix you know mm -hmm. good luck it's got to be really good or it's gonna you know you really force sell it you know and I'm just not a you know seller you know I'm not a salesman so yeah. I just do my own thing you know and my stuff really like you said I appreciate the comment but it sticks out a little bit because it is different from what Fred writes and then um, that's just my style this is me so I just try to not even enter into that whole thinking of like oh well, I've got to be able to, you know I got to write a song for this record I, uh, it's too stressful for starters yeah. and yeah um, I like taking my time and writing what I want to hear because I like listening to my records I know this kind of sounds kind of egomaniac maniacal or whatever <laughs> but I like when I listen to a record I want to hear what my what I like and I'm not listening because I go oh that's a great vocal I'm awesome yeah. <laughs> It's more like, you know, okay, I like the groove on this. It's okay, and I can go back and, and, and relive. Oh, that was a cool, I like that. That, came, that part came out of the blue. Where's that shit come from, you know? Yeah. You, mm -hmm. you know, it's questioning yourself, like, uh, where was that influence from? Yeah. No, I, I, I think there's no, absolutely nothing wrong with, like, wanting to listen to and enjoy the music that you make, because, like, that should be part of the reason why you're doing it in the first place, you know? Well, because you like it. Yeah. Yeah. You, 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 yeah getting some kind of satisfaction out of doing it. Yeah. You got to be satisfied. And, it, you know, it's interesting that, you know, when, you know, when this is happening for them in 68, they're recording so much material, you know, like 30 something songs for that this record. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's so much material and unlimited time to do it in, you know? Um, and it's just interesting that like, they're even at a point where it's like, I don't have time to wait for you. I have to go do this by myself right now. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and it's like, what are you waiting? Like, why are we rushing anything? <laughs> like, <laughs> who cares? Just slow down, man. It's, it's like uh, my, 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 uh, Bruce was telling me we were watching the Pope of Greenwich Village, and there's a point in there where Eric Roberts tells Mickey Rourke, "Well, it's not like you got a job to go to or nothing." <laughs> <laughs> you know, we yeah laugh. It's uh yeah. So they it, yeah. I don't. I think it was just like the the. The thoughts are coming so fast and quick that you're they're trying to get it down on a, something. I mean, of course, this is pre uh, voice memo on an right. iPhone. <laughs> right. so, yeah, so you, you got really you got to set up a mic, you got to get an engineer in there, and then you're Abbey Road. You can't. I mean, you could probably push the buttons by that point by yourself, but you know they wouldn't let you work the equipment yeah. unless you had a, a verified employee of. EMI or whatever working the buttons, you know. So you got to mm -hmm. hire all these other people and, mm -hmm. and involved, and um, so yeah. And it sounds like that's why. Uh, why don't we do it in the road? It kind of sounds like it was just nobody's working with me on this song, so I'm just going to lay it down the chorus over and over. And, yeah. But you know, it's little bits and pieces that they have. Yeah, because it, it, from what I'm reading, it's it's just Paul and a tape engineer. You know, yeah. like. That you know, George Martin's not paying any mind to this. He's, he's working in the other. He's studio. got to go do string arrangements for right. you know Savoy Truffle or whatever whatever track they're doing. You know, like uh -huh. you got time for why? Why don't we do it? I got time for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I feel good about where we've put everything today. Why sure, don't we? Uh, I did. I do. <laughs> I feel fine about that. Why don't uh, we do a few rapid fire questions? 
if you okay. got some time. Excellent. Okay. Uh, your favorite Beatles song? Um, I thought about this, and I gotta say, I'm really right now. I'm really digging Rocky Raccoon. Okay, interesting. All right. Well, Rocky Raccoon. I've really always loved the storytelling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, it's kind of like here I sit in prison. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. You know, it's the uh, the guy you know gets unacquainted love and you know gets in a gunfight and you know tell me he winds up dead and loses. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, in Rocky Raccoon, he ends up still alive. So yeah, it's a good ending. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, your least favorite Beatles song? Oh man, I don't really have one. Um, you know, I really, inf- I really love everything past Sergeant Pepper's. Um, I don't, uh, I love all the old stuff, but it just, uh, I, I just really love and admire Like Rubber Soul. I love that song "Word." Mm-hmm. To the word, set you free. We already threw that one out. <laughs> I don't like what? that. It. Not a fan of that track. Not okay. A fan. <laughs> um, and then uh, like Tax Man and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, love. Choose uh, uh, everything. Eight days a week to Ticket to Ride. That whole era. And then um, Helter Skelter Revolution. Um, I'm not a really big fan. I'll, of course, you know you, I love uh, Abbey Road. The, mm-hmm. the whole uh, thing that we used to do the, in the end. Oh yeah, the whole. Yeah. The, the, you know, uh, uh, Golden Slumbers carry Golden that weight. Slumbers, at the end. All that stuff. I love how that all just flows together. Yeah, that's that's probably one of my. That's probably my. I love when we were playing that. Oh, I did and, too. Man. That was so great. That was still one of my favorite things that we ever did. I wish we had like a. I wish somebody at, at a show had recorded that. I, read, I, I wish we could have heard that. I bet that was cool. That was, <laughs> I bet that was cool to see. Wait, didn't you do it at Jazz Fest? No. 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 I thought you did. No. No. Huh? Not gonna happen. So you don't really have a least favorite. I can, I can, I can do that. I don't That's... really. I can't really say I have a least favorite. Uh, yeah. Probably ones I just don't. I mean, I go like go. I have my go-to songs. You know? Yeah. 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 Like, um, do you have a uh, what your favorite Beatles album? Probably Sgt. Pepper. Sgt. Pepper. Okay. No doubt about it. Yeah. It's just everything on there from Fixing the Hole and Good Morning. See, I love you know again. Good Morning. All the roosters in the right farm yeah. out. You know, thrown in there. It's yeah. great ear candy. One of the cool things I read about that song, I don't know if, if this is intentionally true or not. I, I'll read a little bit further in. Um, but the way the animals come in at the end of that song, uh, it starts off with, like, a cat to a, to a dog. And then I forget what's after the dog. I think it's, like, a tiger or something. But, like, each subsequent animal is the predator of the previous animal. Oh, wow. Yeah. Which, I, I, I'm not positive if it's true, but, like, it's in my head, I think, like, it's pretty spot on. Uh, and it's can a really see, cool can idea. Can you see Cowboy Mouse sitting there? Wait, hold on. We have to have the right animal. <laughs> <laughs> that, that amount of thought would be... Uh, <laughs> no. All right, we're moving on. <laughs> uh, your favorite memory associated with something Beatles-related? Other than jumping on the couch, so I love you. Yeah, uh, she loves you. Like it, could, it could be like you know, you know, seeing seeing McCartney live, or I've seen yeah, I, I know, say seeing McCartney making out with a girl to a song or something. I would uh, seeing McCartney live is definitely one of the, up there high on the totem pole. Yeah, because I uh, I was really hoping I'd see him play Admiral Halsey 
Oh, know. Uncle Albert. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he didn't. He didn't. But he came out and he played. Uh, started off with another day. Oh, cool. Thought, yeah. That's nice. Uh, That's um, yeah. Just hearing the classics, you know, it's uh, I love love the Wings and um, everything he did post Beatles. Yeah. But yeah, you know, he's got. A, you know, he still has that great voice. It's just a classic, just screamer voice. That uh, you obviously you, you can't just do it. Unless you've been doing it, but you're doing it all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I, as, a, as a singer, you could, I could definitely tell you, just to go raw after not singing for two months or something. That's brutal. You're trying to like fucking do that shit, it's gonna rag yourself. You know, oh, it's yeah. gonna be tough. Yeah. You gotta have the wind and everything, and yeah. You know. And he brutal. still sounds great. Yep. Like That's, how does he? Some yeah, will disagree with you, but I, I think he still sounds great. Yeah. Well, you gotta give him some props. He's ninety, what, 90 <laughs> hundred years old. Seventy-nine. Yeah. I think seventy-eight. Yeah, seventy-eight. Is he seventy-eight? Yeah. I think I he's mean, growing into his older voice. I enjoy it, personally. I think there probably are some like physical limitations from the wear and tear on his voice. I don't know that he's ever taken any kind of lessons or had any like vocal training. Um, but I like what he does with his voice in his older age. Like it doesn't bother me that he sounds. I, well, he he is. I know. Well, that's like, why I'm okay. No, really. That's, yeah. Like, I mean, it's rare to find any singer who he's in their 70s still has a youthful sounding voice. I mean, yeah, it just it doesn't exist. Like your body changes as you age. Your vocal cords are part of your body. Like it's going to change. But the fact that he's 79 playing how long does he play like two hours hours three hours a night on a stage rocking it singing having a blast like that's amazing i don't even do anything for three hours a night and i'm half his age (laughs) yeah you know i've seen uh i've seen burt backlack you know um when he was when i saw him he had singers that would take over Mm -hmm. uh in middle school because he really couldn't make it through the entire song right Mm -hmm. um and then uh who was it? Uh, I saw Neil Diamond when he came to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Uh, him and I went, and we. Uh, uh, he, that was amazing. I mean, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't sing too hard, but he doesn't have to. Right. Um, but I remember at Sweet Caroline, he must have sang the chorus fifteen times. <laughs> oh, one more time. Oh God. You know, do it again. I'm like, oh God, no, please. <laughs> yeah. Is that your bathroom song? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's rare to find. I think any singer who, as they as they get older, especially at that age. You know, their voice, it just naturally changes. But to have someone like where, you know, it it's not a noticeable change or it's not a negative change is difficult to find. You know, it's a, a few and far between, you know, mm-hmm. to anybody. Well, the, you know? the thing like the forceful as he does, he's got to have a lot of wind and yeah. air in his lung to push that hard without really – because if you don't, you're, you're really scraping, you're pushing really hard on your chords. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the effect is cool, but uh, you're going to rag your... But if you are in shape and, I guess, exercise regularly or whatever and try to get your lungs full of air, yeah. it's a lot easier to come off with that stuff. And, yeah. But it is amazing he can still, you know, scream like that. Dude, watching him do Helter Skelter at 78 is... Oh, yeah. That's respect, man. I got yeah. I got all the, all the respect for that all day long. As, yes. as a the illustrious Nick, Nick Exum would say oh. <laughs> fuck the naysayers because they don't mean a thing that's true that a girl well done that was for you Celeste alright last rapid fire um, 
if you could have written any Beatles song, what would it be and why? Wow. Um, dude, that, you put me on the spot. <laughs> I really don't... Uh, I can't always, uh, probably let it be. Yeah. I can probably see let that. It be. I can see that, that as like a piano ballad for you. Yeah. I've been playing in my acoustic sets a lot. Uh, and um, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I really enjoy it. I like it. So that's okay. one of my favorites. Yeah, that's that a good Rocky choice Raccoon. for you. Rocky Raccoon. Yes. <laughs> it, we. That's one that we've been doing these acoustic Beatles things out in front of Tipitina's the last few weekends, uh -huh. and you know we'll put out. Anybody got a request? And people, Rocky Raccoon. It's like really. <laughs> so uh -huh. we had to learn Rocky Raccoon. We didn't know, but now we do. So, yeah. Well, I, I always say that uh, to, uh, the signature of a great song is you have to have dupes in it. Doot doots. <laughs> <laughs> that's why that song so good. Got the doot doot part in there, you know, little. So, uh, lots of doot doots. Lots sure. of doots. So, what do you have coming up, John Thomas? Tell our guests what's what's the newest in John Thomas Griffith world. Well, um, I'm going to uh, Tahiti next weekend. Oh, in two weeks, two and a half weeks. My. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, um, and then uh, come back and. Um, Really, really pushing the living room shows. Uh, Fred has uh, asked me to really start pushing a lot harder. Mm -hmm. We're doing some uh, shows with Fred at uh, Cowboy Mouth stuff. And uh, that's really the, the LRCS is what they call it, living room concert series. And uh, just trying to make that a little bit more viable in COVID times because we can't really do our gigs and unless we wear those bubbles on our heads and you know, do it like um, uh, the flaming lips yeah, do so, and then of course i'm working with you on a, a solo album and i've just uh, been recording at home uh in my studio and just um got everything pretty much there i just haven't really sang my main vocals yet yeah but yeah uh, yeah i set up a little booth in in the bathroom upstairs uh for vocals i got the mic in there and everything nice. but Kim, <laughs> Kim's been working online uh, basically for every day. Like mm -hmm. eight, works like three or four sessions a day. And uh, so it's hard to get in there uh, and do anything uh, loud or anything, you know, right. sing. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, we'll get around to it. Yeah, we've got some time coming up Christmas. Any, uh, any live stream shows planned for the future? I know you were doing kind I, of like well, a... Through the pandemic thing, I did it... Uh, and it was some pre-recorded stuff and I would I would turn I would edit it and put it in black and white mm -hmm. I just love that medium um, and so that's uh, I may do some more I wanted I've been my, my train of, my thought has been lately is uh, start doing a series of coverage like one one a week mm -hmm. you know, like, like the pandemic in front of the fireplace thing you know yeah continue that series but do covers uh and there's a, I still have a lot of songs, that, you know, solo album songs that I haven't even touched the surface, you know. Yeah. With, uh, yeah. from aluminum to apples and onions. So there's a lot of stuff I just kind of scratched. I did about 35. Okay. And I kind of did it. Winter was over and I couldn't burn fire anymore. So <laughs> the fire, that didn't make sense. Didn't make sense to play in front of the fireplace. Right. <laughs> in <what>. August. <laughs> You could just put like the uh, the fireplace video on your TV, yeah. 
and play in front of the TV fireplace video. That's a great idea. <laughs> that would be hilarious. You are welcome. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, dude. Appreciate. It. Well, it took me a, it took me a while to get the uh, the pandemic thing up on the TV. You know, my little poster that I made up. You know, and then had it projected up on the the big screen mm-hmm. behind me over my shoulder. Yeah. Um, that was a big uh, hurdle to get over. And I thought it I'm not great. that. You know, you know me. I'm not that savvy. <laughs> well, hooking up iPads, the TV sets, and right. it all come together. It's a lot of effort. These, all this, all the stuff that you, that musicians have had to learn to do in order to maintain a connection with their fans. Mm-hmm. Like it's, I mean, you guys are used to like putting your guitar on and plugging in your mics, maybe. And, you know, like plugging on your guitar, like sort of like minimal technology, like, you know, how your instruments work, but to have to get into this whole other like live streaming and like embracing technology as a whole has just oh, yeah. been, it's a lot. Yeah. The learning curve is, is big. Yeah. And um, I, I just don't choose to do it all the time. Like some people do, I guess. Um, uh, I did one for more jazz fest this year I did a gospel tent kind of you know pretending I was in the gospel tent so I learned I got a bunch of bluegrass gospel stuff out and saying that that's the only live stream it's a special event or something maybe I'll do a Christmas one yeah Ooh, that'd be nice I think that'd be yeah, good or Hanukkah whatever comes Man, whatever yeah. comes first just a general <laughs> holiday like right. encompass all, all of the holidays do a yeah, holiday great, special yeah. that's a great idea I keep it yeah Home and for then, the holidays. Uh, John I, I think they lose their not value. Um, if you do them too much, I, I don't want to over yeah. do yeah. it. Yeah, just to be doing it. Now, uh, a friend of mine, Peter McCorkle, he does a uh, noontime hour mm-hmm. uh, every day, Monday through Friday, um, which is kind of like a radio show, basically for him. You know, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. You know. Well, um, Andre Boren does like a piano break every day around noon. It's just like oh, really? a little, yeah, every day at noon. Like at noon 15 he, minutes maybe? Yeah, he does like a little awesome. quick like noon lunch piano live stream. It's just, like a, he'll do like a different classical piece. Yeah, it's amazing. So sometimes uh-huh. it's 15 minutes, sometimes it's three minutes. Sometimes it's, yeah, sometimes he delays it an hour because his kid's napping. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like uh-huh. there's no rules to what we can and can't do anymore. It's, yeah. it's pretty gotcha. interesting. Like gotcha. there are... Like I think the the Foo Fighters are doing a live stream from the Roxy this weekend. Really? Uh, Liam Gallagher filmed a performance on a barge on the Thames, and wow. you can like buy a ticket to watch it on like a certain day at a certain time. Like Is everyone's the, learning new things, you know. It's, are the Foo's like selling tickets or selling? Yeah, you can you can buy like you buy a ticket for it and uh, you watch the live stream. Gotcha. And it's like a timed thing, and I'm sure that. I think also people are probably going to have to start putting like encryption software into the video. So like if you try to steal the video while you're watching it, like your file is, you know, corrupted of some mm-hmm. sort and you can't just post it on YouTube. Thing. It's a whole new world. Of... Yeah. Computer gets corrupt. Corona. <laughs> your computer gets the Corona. That's not good. Well, I encourage all of our listeners to track down all the music by John Thomas Griffith. Thank you. One of my favorite songwriters, favorite singers, Favorite people in the world. It's hard work. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's hard to be so talented and so easy. good looking. <laughs> well, you guys make it easy. You know? well, as long as we keep the bar down here, you shine real high up here. <laughs> You're yeah. welcome. 
Well, John Thomas, thank you, my friend. I, uh, hey, I hope you guys. hope you've I enjoyed this. I love both of you, Jules and Jonathan. I love Likewise, you brother. You guys are so nice to me all the time. I just, how can I not like you? Aw, we love you. <laughs> you know? You're yeah. the best. You're the best, my dude. Yeah, well, cool. Well, you guys have fun, man. I'm going to hit some golf balls. Do it. Do it, man. No, 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 no. Let me know when it's, I'll post, you know, when it gets done and, and you want to yep. post and do all that. I think oh. we're like two weeks out. I'll let you know. Okay, cool. Killer. Awesome. All right, bro. Well, I'll, see you, I'll see you in December. Yeah, send sure. me those dates and we'll uh, we'll schedule it. Okay. All right, homie. Okay, we'll cool, guys. Tell Y'all everybody hi for us. All right, we'll see you later. Good Bye, Julesy. Love you. Adios, Bye, bro. Love you. Love you, man. See you guys later. Bye. Cheers. Later. John Thomas Griffith, everybody. Yeah. Man, I love talking to that guy. He's so great. He's such a sweet person. He is. He's the best. He is. I want to do a. I got to find some way to do like a sub episode where we can dive into like his rock and roll stories. Oh. The dude over the course of his career has some of the greatest rock and roll road stories of all time. Um, needs to write a book. Probably won't. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It, it's enough just, just to get him to make this record that we're working on. So. Um, but one endeavor at a time, one endeavor at a time. Yes. But I feel like you should, um, sort of like keep your voice memo open or like available when he's around and start recording his stories. <laughs> just always record. Like, like we're in always the, be like recording. we're in the Trump administration just always recording each other secretly. <laughs> no, not, waka waka. not maliciously, not for malicious intent yeah. and money. But, but just for like to capture his stories. Yeah. Because yeah. they always start with, dude, dude, <laughs> record. Record. <laughs> <laughs> so, with that in mind, friends, yes, go on your social medias, or uh, not your social medias. Uh, with that in mind, go on your streaming sites, check out John Thomas Griffith's music, solo with the Red Rockers and with Cowboy Mouth. The dude writes great songs. And go follow him on Facebook. Follow him on the Facebooks. And then you'll catch his live streams because he's wonderful and an absolute treat. He is. One of the best rock and roll singers I've ever heard in my life. He's great. So, I hope you guys have enjoyed this show. If you have, please leave a wonderful review for us on your podcast provider of choice. Five stars. Anything less than five will be tossed. We, and we don't really we have that ability, that, unfortunately. Yeah. You can't call Apple and ask them to take to get rid of that no. review. I, I, I know that for a fact. Yeah. Not that I've tried, but I used to work for Apple. So, so. just don't leave us anything but five stars, please. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, smash the like button on our Facebook page and on our Instagram. All that good stuff. Come join the conversation on Facebook. We're having some good ones. That's true. We have some real good combos. Mm-hmm. If you have a hot take that you think uh, we'd like to hear, you can let us know that hot take. Uh, and we're going to do a hot takes episode in the future where we discuss these hot takes. Hot takes. Flaming hot. Is that what it is? Flaming hot. Flaming hot. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, that's all for now, my friends. Uh, until next time, I am Jonathan. And I'm Julia. This has been Ranking the Beatles. Adios. Bye, y'all.